Hello, I am Daisy Mack and this is Spiritual Mixtape, the podcast. And today we are welcoming back the incredible Christina Luna. You guys loved, loved, loved her episode. And how can I deny you some more astrological, celestial goodness? Um, Thank you, Christina, for coming back on the podcast today. I appreciate the opportunity so much, Daisy. Thank you. I'm right back at you. So I referenced this the last time we spoke that, you know, the reason I hit you up is I was freaking out about um, Mars, God of War, and you <laughs> sweetly talked us through <laughs> why that is like the classic archetype. You don't need to worry about it. Um, how Venus, our heart, doesn't override, but like coexists and works with the action, with like the divine masculine part of Mars to get things done, to be in action. And today I know we're going to talk about Black Moon Lilith and also we're going to talk about your amazing planner, I'll let you get to that. But we're going to talk about Black Moon Lilith and for me that kind of resonates in the same way. If you didn't understand the gifts that Black Moon Lilith is going to bring to you, you could be all levels of freaking out about like why you don't want to show your shadow and all these uncomfortable parts that are so necessary to growth. But frankly, if you don't have a good guide like yourself, it's really daunting to navigate these energies. You're right. And you know, a lot of people have only maybe heard a little bit about this archetype. Um, this is a shadowy archetype. The the it's not even a planetary body that we can point to or um like it's not a tangible thing. It's a shadow aspect. It's a it's a hidden space that we calculate in the chart. And so much of what we fear is what we don't have enough information about. So much of what we fear is this shadowy spot inside of our psyche where we don't know what we'll find if we look there. And we don't know what we've packed away throughout our lifetime in this, in this space in our psyche. And so even though like, I think there's a lot of seduction and interest in the archetype of Black Moon Lilith, I, I today would love to just talk about how to tangibly access the inaccessible within ourselves. And I'm, I'm really excited because we are, we are on the cusp as we record this. We are on the cusp of a whole new Black Moon Lilith initiation. These initiations take nine months. And so every nine months, we move through a different spot of our unconscious suppressed fear. (laughs) Yeah. And the place where we suppress and hide and resist is actually a place of really powerful energy, energy that we can use to move the needle in our lives. When I say move the needle, I don't in any way mean like, this is going to help you progress. This is going to help you evolve. And in some ways it does, but sometimes moving the needle is actually toward greater self-acceptance, toward personal liberation, toward 
uh, openness in relationships. And so moving the needle isn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to progress in my life and I'm going to succeed at my goals. It's really about bringing us to our presence and our embodiment so much more fully because there's no part of us that we resist seeing, holding, and accepting. Wow. That's the part that really stuck with me just there is how much energy it takes to repress. And yeah, we're not going to go into this definitely in this podcast, but if you look around the world right now where people are oppressed, how much energy and force it takes to ring herd and keep people down. And then when you think about it in terms of yourself like when you have desires or urges like how much it takes to control your willpower to push things down or to hide or to you're right it's so much more energy than just letting it all hang out (laughs) yeah so first let's just talk about what even is the black moon lilith point in astronomy or astrology, etc. Because it's not a planetary body, it is actually a calculated point. And many of us don't actually know that the moon is not moving in in a pure circle around the earth. It's actually in an elliptic. That means it's sort of shaped like a racetrack. And sometimes the moon is closer to the earth, and we call those super moons. And sometimes the moon is further And when we're looking for the spot that Black Moon Lilith is being calculated at, it's actually a point in that elliptic that's furthest from the Earth, and it's on the 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 backside of the Moon. It's a it's a it's a space that we never actually see. It's a space that we can't actually touch, see, or measure. And so, the point in the astrological chart actually indicates a spot in our subconscious that we have a hard time seeing, touching, and measuring as well. It's like the, it's like the dark side of the moon. It's a spot that we, we can't actually ever really get reflected to as straightforward. I mean, I, I thank you for explaining that. I think that, you know, I love the ease that dark side of the moon. It's a music reference that, <laughs> that speaks to my heart. But I think you grow up hearing things like dark side of the moon. So on a sense, you understand that there is a place up there that's mystical, magical, um, dark, scary, like all of these mythical ideas and concepts of the moon. But how many of us actually know and understand that as the moon turns, there genuinely is a side of the moon that we will never ever see with our naked eye. Right? That's like, there are so many things that are just incredible about living on this planet and sp- like this rock that's spinning in the sky from growing babies in women's tummies to leaves producing themselves every in the wonderful colors that they turn as they come out and as they die like there's so many magical amazing processes that just happen and one is that we will never see one side of the moon and that does really represent our journey 
as humans, there's always a part of like, think about your great friends and people that you have in your life that you love and adore. And you're like, I just wish they would embrace that thing about themselves. Because if they just got it out into the open, they would be happier. We all would be happier. So when you think about it like that, and then, you know, think about it for yourself, like when your friends and loved ones are saying that about you, what's that thing that you're not ready to face? Right. And you, it is true. Usually everyone else can see it in us. And we've worked so hard. You know, when I was first studying Black Moon Lilith and what it, how it shows up psychologically, what I uncovered was that when we are children and we are seeking love from our caregivers, we discover that there are certain behaviors, certain ways of expressing, certain ways of acting that give us the opposite of what we're looking for, that actually separate us from what we perceive as our parents' love or our caregiver's love. And we decide in our psyche to make a little file of all the bad things, like do not throw a temper tantrum or you'll get sent to your room and isolated. Do not steal a candy bar from the grocery store because your mom's going to make you walk in there and give it back and say you're sorry. Do not, you know, X, Y, and Z. We have, each of us have a whole list of things that we tucked away in a file and we were like, oh my gosh, I will never be that person. And some of those things are really, I don't know, I mean, they do develop certain characters, traits. They do develop our personality. They do develop someone we feel proud of as we get older. But those things never really go away. In fact, the more that we've tucked into that box, the more we don't identify with those things, the more we have to actually project them out onto other people. And so the really weird and tricky thing here is that if we are seeing things in other people that we wish that they would embrace, sometimes that's our box of tricks being projected onto them. And this is why it's so tricky because everyone actually is a projection screen for our conscious and subconscious and unconscious. Oh, there's so much to like delve into. And I've actually just seen one of my notes from doing your masterclass on Black Moon Lilith, which is judgment is the origin of evil, which we definitely don't need to get deep like that here. But it's it's that idea of all your conditioning isn't actually you. What you choose to get rid of or choose to move past is your places of strength and growth. And we've been talking, you know, offline about how the work I do with breath work and the work you do with um, astrology is so complementary in releasing those psychological patterns. And I do think if you time the breath work around the things that are happening in the sky, you create such a, it's like a, a well, you talk about it in terms of a recipe, you create the right environment, like the right hot oven to get the perfect souffle bake and then you're like yes I'm maybe not out of this forever but if I can do it once I can bake this souffle again I can get I can create the right conditions to 
for me, uh, you know, good girl syndrome, like all of these, all of these things that I've picked up in childhood that, and, and just fear in general. And fear is like a big thing that we're, we were talking about offline about this transit with Black Moon Lilith. So for the next nine months, we're into releasing, releasing Virgo themes or embracing Virgo themes. So, you know, whenever I, try to help people understand the way Black Moon Lilith operates in their psyche, I like to invite people to close their eyes and imagine that there's a round table in their consciousness. And there are, let's say, 12 chairs around this round table. Okay. I'm I'm there. Everybody get comfortable. Make sure you're in a safe place. If you're driving, maybe pop, maybe just listen to this and then do this exercise when you get home. But if you have the benefit of being in your safe, comfortable space, let's do this together now. Do you think people should close their eyes or soften their gaze? Some people can do this with their eyes open. The reason I like eyes closed is because sometimes when you block out a lot of visual stimulus, you can see your mind's eye a little more clearly. Um, So just to introduce this, I just want to share last weekend, my son came to visit me. He's 18 now. He's an adult and he is trying to create his life. And he started this affirmation process and and he's really he's got this clothing brand and he wants it to succeed and he wants to promote it and he was telling me ma every time i sit down and i begin to move toward making a new project or promoting my stuff on social media i get this voice in my head that says that's stupid don't do that and he said there's this design i want to do it has tony hawk on it blah blah and i hear in my head Tony Hawk was is not going to like any of your shit. Don't do it. Stuff. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> <You're good. laughs> and um, and he's like, it just feels so hard because I want to manifest, but I know that that's not the energy that I should be in when I'm manifesting. This this area of doubt, this sensation that I'm not good enough, that my designs aren't good, that that I I don't I'm an imposter, I don't know what I'm doing, all these things. I don't I'm afraid to manifest. I'm afraid to do affirmations. I'm afraid to actually step into creating my life from this state of doubt and fear. And I was like, wow, you know what, Grant? That's really really normal. Almost. I would say every single person has a little voice in their head that tells them to be afraid to do something. It's a voice in the head that's very, very critical of what they want to do. And it was interesting that we had this conversation because Black Moon Lilith had just moved into a place that was being our inner critic. First of all, I wanted to share that story because I wanted everyone to kind of connect with the sensation of of wanting to move forward, of wanting to build something and finding that little voice in their head that's criticizing before they even begin. I know that voice. Criticizing before they even hit record, criticizing before they leave the house, all that. There's a voice. And if you can identify that voice, we're going to actually locate that voice at the roundtable discussion. Okay. I'm ready. So... Close your eyes and imagine that there's a round table in your psyche and there are 12 chairs. And somewhere at the table, there's a person that brings up doubt that criticizes you. And if you could observe that person, not in your head, 
but somewhere sitting at that table. When I was doing this with my son, he saw this person directly across the table from them. And I said, all right, is it a man or a woman? Is it a you know male or female? And so he told me his answer. So I want you to identify, is this a male or a female? Then I want you to give this person a name. For the sake of this um, activity, Daisy, is your person a male or a female? It's a man called Robert. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So you might be surprised to find that oftentimes this voice, for women, this voice could be male. And it, because Black Moon Lilith actually sometimes is something that we perceive as the opposite of what we are. So if we identify as female, sometimes that voice will be masculine. That makes sense. So you have a voice in your head called Robert. Now, can you see Robert sitting at the table? Uh, yeah, to my um, opposite to my right. Okay. And what are just a couple of things that Robert says? Um, Robert is um, in a shirt and tie. And Robert really wants me to conform and like do my paperwork and like, get things done in a timely fashion. Awesome. Okay. So while Robert is sitting there, I'm also going to have you identify a couple other people sitting at the table. So there is going to be someone sitting at the table that always invites you to move in the direction you want to move. It's maybe a feminine voice. She's always encouraging you to be comfortable, to take deep breaths, to receive, to eat delicious food, to lay in bed a little longer. She, she wants your body to feel so nourished. She wants you to feel luxurious, beautiful, do you feel, do you see that person somewhere at your table? Yeah, I definitely do. She's kind of opposite Robert um, to my left. And um, she is called Greta. And she's got like great hair and a vibe. And I actually can't see her properly. Mm -hmm. But I can feel colors and energy. And does sometimes when Greta talks, do you feel like Robert speaks over her? He's definitely given it a, a good go. Mm -hmm. So now that we've mapped those two, there's another character. Okay. This character is more is masculine. This character is encouraging. This character says, Daisy, we can start a podcast. <laughs> Daisy. Call call up your friends and ask them to help you collaborate with this podcast. <laughs> I could definitely see that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so where is this character? It's just off from opposite me um, to the right side. And it definitely feels like my dad. Okay, so the three characters we just mapped are Black Moon Lilith... We've mapped Venus and we've mapped Mars. Oh, that's nice. So for you, the Venus character has this almost elusive, you can hardly see her, but she's colorful and she's she's 
you know, if you feel her. And Mars has this sort of fatherly, masculine energy to him and encourages you and serves Venus, serves you to get things done that that are in alignment with what you really desire. And do you feel that sometimes Robert has maybe sometimes a louder megaphone? Um, I feel like Robert is a little bit misunderstood and... (laughs) And I'm just like thinking of times in my life where I've definitely come across Roberts and like, you know, I want to, I actually really want in life to be friends with the Roberts of the world. If I was thinking about like the CFOs I've had in companies where I have a really nice working relationship with them, but they completely infuriate me at the same time. And that is definitely some Robert energy. Okay. So there, so we have this trio. We've got this trio. We've got Robert, we've got um, Venus and Mars, and you're observing them. You, Daisy, the you that is you, is observing these characters. So these characters are not actually your whole identity. They're voices in your head. They're impulses. Do you know um, what I'm really feeling can I just share this with you quickly? Of course. Is with poor Robert, um, I'm beginning to understand Robert and I would often take his megaphone away, feel very criticised. It would feel very personal. Um, and I would much rather, you know, either be in action with the father figure or be, you know, with my head in the clouds with Venus and feeling like floaty and having people radiate to me because I'm so like in my Venus. And then poor Robert, the reason he's got a megaphone and, and actually he's coming from a place of frustration with me. If I just listened to him a little while ago and got my stuff done, he would have never needed a microphone. Like that's how I'm feeling about Robert today. He's like, finally, Mm-hmm. Like I'm not the bad guy here. Yeah. Sometimes our response to this character can be like we push them away. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed because they're amplifying certain things that we are uncomfortable about ourselves. 100%. But you're right. The truth is Robert is a super valuable person at your table. 100%. And – in the case of um, some people's psyches, that character, well, some it's it is kind of the character of the protector. Mm. It protected us when we were little, so that we would be loved. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Like, get your homework done, be the good girl, stay in line, toe the line. Yeah, Robert was a key key in all of that. <laughs> Robert was afraid that if you didn't do those things that something bad would happen. And so a way to establish relationship with our Black Moon Lilith is to sort of understand how it's taken that role at our table, how it interacts with our Venus and our Mars. There's so many other people at this table, but we're just highlighting these ones for now. Um, and, and how we can actually honor that character at her table without giving it more power or more energy or more clout than the other parts of us. 
I mean, I, I just that was completely valuable for me because I can't tell you, and I know that people relate to this, how much I wake up in the middle of the night and think about bills I've got to pay mm-hmm. because I haven't sorted out my look. I have managed to navigate life without having to embrace the numbers person. Um, because I think that if I defer to Venus or Mars, they can counterbalance what poor old Robert is just trying to get me to do. If you just step up here, this bit that you don't like, the details, the numbers, like it's never been a thing that I want to do. But if you just step it, if you just now embrace it, how like all of those success markers that I have, you're going to actually be able to get to them. It's like the thing that's getting in the way. Mm-hmm. I always want to be the creative and the fun one. And actually, poor old Robert, I think he's serious. And actually, he's kind of a good guy. It's just... <laughs> Do you have you have such a good relationship with your Black Moon Lilith? I'm, I'm already <laughs> like, wow. Spot on. It, now, not everyone's going to have the same experience as you. For people who are still cultivating levels of self-love... The criticism of Black Moon Lilith in Virgo could create a lot of self-deprecation. Black Moon Lilith in Virgo could be health concerns, worrying that deep down there's something not healthy about you. It could be um, concerns about cleanliness, concerns about purity, concerns about sexual shame, Concerns that there are certain parts of us that are not actually perfect and good for our whole. And so some people may actually be experiencing this nine-month period of time as a time when they want to really take the blade upon themselves, maybe even literally. Like this could be a time where people move into ideas about intense plastic surgery or you know, on, on the converse, there could be people discovering for the first time the origin of a health issue and finally resolving it. Mm. These It could be a time where people finally go and get the dental work done that they need to get done because they're finally at, this, at the point where they're ready to take charge of this part of their life. So as long as we have a healthy relationship with the critic inside and we don't use it to tear ourselves apart, but we use it to constructively accept our wholeness and to bring ourselves into a greater state of health and wholeness. Uh, that's ultimately what we can positively do for this initiation. The reason I think I probably have a good relationship with my Black Moon Lilith is, I actually did make some notes about this yesterday when I was reading through um, and watching your masterclass is I feel like I've just been in the shadows. I've had the dark night of the soul coming out of it. When I was listening to you talk about the gates and like the gate of creation, the gates of expression, I was just like, oh, I've literally just moved through that. But it really took me four years when I, um, I can't actually remember which podcast episode it's in, but I, one of my clients came back to me and was just like, it's made me feel so great to know that it took you four years to start your podcast. And it was like, yeah, I've been in like, um, and all of this shame with Robert, with my Black Moon Lilith, the, the way I used to spend money and not manage my money was 
by some people's standards, really appalling. Like the place I feel shame um, isn't from like the like the desires and the sexual side. The place I feel shame is really in money, and that comes from growing up with inconsistent income and my parents like their growth with money. So it's taken a long time to get here and. And as you said as well, like as I've learned from you about Back Moon Lilith is you go through all of these initiations and then you go right back to the start to learn again where you need to grow. You're stronger and you can now get even deeper into your shadow and you're just in a different phase of your life. But over these nine months, for someone that is coming to this fresh, they're having their first like blossoms of awakening and it could feel scary, right? Like it could feel like, wow, because everyone feels a bit scared of Virgo because it happens after Leo. You have this heightened summertime of just like pure fun. Uh, like you were saying actually that Leo is primal and it's like all of this, like your basic instincts, but it, with performance. And then you get hit with Virgo. That's like time to get back to school. Like let's do all of our numbers and like button ourselves up and no more loose living. It's especially for someone like me or a lot of the people that come along and my train journey are um, a little bit to the loose side, like like to be creative and like to express. So when you're hitting those Virgo themes, and you're new to the spiritual side and it's really shaking you up rather than just confronting Black Moon Lilith. Like what are the steps to be safe in, in moving through Black Moon Lilith? I'm so happy that you asked. I'm going to put it into context by telling a, a story through the Zodiac in a way that we'll understand just as humans developing on the planet. I love it. So... It's kind of, this is going to be sort of like a tour through the Zodiac for beginners. Okay. <laughs> so in the beginning, we are born and your, our mothers use force and fire and passion to bring us into the world. And as soon as we enter, we say, it's a girl and her name is Daisy. And she was born in this location and this culture and with these these parents and caregivers and all of a sudden we're identifying Daisy by all of the circumstances that she was born into and you Daisy as a baby are completely identified with all of those things because you have not actually created a separation in your mind that you're a separate person from all of that so Aries is the introduction and the identification with the environment we arrive in after Aries, we move into Taurus. And immediately after a child is born, this child has so many needs. It needs food. It needs safety. It needs warmth. It needs a place, someone to protect it. And so during the time of Taurus, this is when the baby, still identified with its environment, begins to establish a relationship with survival with understanding that it is a mortal being and it needs things to survive and that the temple of Taurus is the space within our psyche where we relate to that part of our life cycle. How do I feel safe being alive? How do I feel safe getting my needs met? 
Were they met well? Were they not? And based on these two pieces, the next piece then is when our brain begins to develop stories about what life is about. We begin to label things as good and bad. We begin to decide that there is a me and there is a you. And the time of Gemini is actually when the two hemispheres of the brain are separate and begin to communicate with each other. And this is actually in child psychology when a child begins to know that it is separate from its mother, separate from its environment. And one of the ways that that we can really observe that is when babies are really little and they're holding something, When they don't have this separation, this understanding yet, you can take something out of their hand and they don't even know that you did it. Like they don't have a concept of separation. You know that the baby is entered into the Gemini phase when maybe a sibling comes in and takes a Barbie from the baby's hand and the baby can conceptualize, okay, wait, there's a me. I had a this. They took that and now I don't have it. I prefer to have it. I do not prefer for them to have it. This is when our mind begins to make stories about the way reality is. These are the earliest ways our brain starts to form. And we need to have some of that separation and contrast in order to have ideas. The brain part, Gemini, this is so important. And I'll get all the way to Virgo, but if we if we understand the building blocks, the Virgo parts will make so much more sense. So Gemini is also the space where we decide, I love to eat strawberries and I do not love to eat dog poop. (laughs) This is having the polarity of our um, preferences actually was important for our survival. Yeah. Now, that's just the thinking part. The next phase of this is cancer. Cancer is the way we start to have emotions based on the stories we tell ourselves. And cancer is the emotional response to the ideas we have. Cancer is the first time that we can actually get our feelings hurt because we make a meaning that really, truly wounds us. Or it is the space where we feel even when we hurt our feelings, even when the world is scary, even when we're very emotional, there's someone who will hold us who will help us to feel safe and will who will tell us, baby, I know the world is crazy and I know that you'll get hurt, but I want you to know I'll always love you. And so cancer is also the place where we ultimately feel the most at home with the crazy experience of life that we've been launched into. So when we're deeply nourished in cancer, that's when we feel free to step out into Leo and create and play and imagine and have that primal, fun, instinctual life. If cancer is the moment where we say, all right, I guess I'm here. I'm separate from my mother. I'm separate from source. If I'm going to be separate and I'm going to be here and alive, I better figure out how I'm going to live this life. And Leo is the solution to that. Leo is what we manifest in a response to being alive. And 
the story I have is that the child feels so loved by the caregiver that it runs out and it makes the mud pies and it creates this huge imaginary world and begins to get very hungry from all of its play. It got into the flow state and all of a sudden it hears on the distance, honey, come inside. It's time to get cleaned up for dinner. Grandma's going to come for dinner. We got to get cleaned up. And if we've played hard enough, we will run inside to get cleaned up because we're hungry. We're ready. We're ready to share our ideas with our family. We're ready to tell grandma all the things that we made. So we run inside, we take a bath, we get dressed, we make the dinner, we set the table, we prepare for company to come to our table. And the temple of Virgo is that. We resent it so much sometimes because we don't often take the time to really play and feel hungry, feel ready to clean up the creative mess and prepare for for the company at dinner. And part of the reason we don't play is because many of us don't feel safe enough to do so. In cancer, we don't feel like we were given the assurance that, yes, you will get hurt. And yes, that is a part of life. And yes, go out and play anyway, because I'll always be here and you can always come home and I'll always love you. So when we don't have the assurance in cancer, we have a hard time going out and playing. And when we have a hard time playing, we don't feel ready to go in and pay the bills. We don't feel ready to go in and do the laundry. We don't. We're we're stuck in maybe a space of Gemini. We're still trying to sort out what this whole thing is about. We're telling stories that don't make us feel safe and loved. And we're with when we don't feel safe and loved, we don't fully play and enjoy. And when we don't fully play and enjoy, we don't like Virgo stuff. Oh. And we want to just jump over into Libra. We want to just jump into relationship. Screw the cleaning up. Screw the getting dressed. Screw the cooking dinner. I'm going to invite people over anyway, and they're just going to be a part of all of this. And our friends will show up, and they'll say, this is all great and fine, except I am hungry, and I I, I do have bills to pay, and I, I do need to tend to my family, so I can only stay for a little while. I'm going to go now codependency and attachments like (laughs) happening there when you miss the when you miss the Virgo step (laughs) when you miss the Virgo step because you miss the Leo step because you didn't feel safe in the cancer step because the stories we tell in Gemini were sort of based on whether or not we got our needs met in Taurus like it's all related I love this yeah it's a continuum like if Black Moon Lilith is creating critical havoc in our lives while while it moves through Virgo, this is a really important time to look back on what was the environment I identified with when I was born? How well did that environment meet my needs for safety and security? What stories did I tell myself about whether or not my needs were met properly? Did those stories make me feel sad? And did they lead me to seek out for help? Did they lead me to isolate myself? Did they lead me to feel unsafe in the world? Did those feelings keep me from really expressing myself and living my greatest joy? It's a bigger question than just, 
why do I have a hard time cleaning my house, getting my laundry done, getting the paperwork done, lining my ducks up in a row? Why do I have a hard time calling myself in to discipline myself and my health? Why? Like, it's not because I'm a bad person. It's not because I lack passion. It's not because I'm all messed up inside. Aww. It's because I, I, I actually just need to readdress maybe some of the ways I meet my needs, maybe some of the ways I identify myself. Maybe I need to readdress some of the beliefs I have that are making me feel certain ways. And this is the part that I think breathwork, I'm just saying, like, I'm so happy that you offer breathwork to the world because it's the breathwork space that we're able to actually revisit those spaces within ourselves. Yeah, there's an amazing um, Joe Dispenza quote where it's like, a memory without emotional attachment is wisdom. And I think that the process of breathwork allows you to time travel, something that I know that you love the idea and the concept of, this idea of quantum meditation, allows you to time travel back to the places that and the stories that, I mean, they are just stories, but they feel like intrinsic parts of your personality, parts of your process, but really they're just they're just a story that if you stop the emotional attachment to the story and you release it out, it's just wisdom. It's just, it really is just nothing almost. I mean, I'm, I try not to use scary words like nothing um, because it freaks people out. Like if you've been telling yourself for a really long time, a certain story, like I said earlier, my, my good girl stories, like the things I needed to do to be a good girl, which also one kept me safe, but disempowered me because they always kept me below. They always kept me like one, like always having to defer to somebody to make me the good girl. And when you truly released or when I truly released that one out, and I'll probably always be releasing it a tiny bit, like there'll always be ways it comes up. But when I first moved through that particular story, actually through breath work, I was like, Dan, there is nothing there. It was all of the stuff I was holding. Nobody was making me be a good girl. I was asking for people to validate me like that. I was creating scenario upon scenario in which to be given that. And when I just stopped, there was really nothing there. Like it really was nothing and it was incredibly liberating. But when you're telling somebody that hasn't felt those first throes of release, that there's going to be nothing on the other side. That's terribly scary. I think, I mean, I, I, I'm full of my spiritual journey. I've gone from being the most confident, courageous person to being full of fear and like flailing around like a little scared ant on the floor where everything feels so much bigger than you. But it's not. I mean, this is just like the process of moving through these things that you push down. That when you become your most authentic self, true to you, like there is the big, giant, courageous human and there's also a scared little ant and they're both in there processing. So let's do this. One, when people are working through... And they're like, this is really resonating with me, but I haven't been sure on what are the journal prompts? Like, what are the questions? Is your planner 
like a good counterpart to work through Black Moon Lilith because this is this is this is deep work. Like the things that you're saying, like going back to Taurus, going like figuring out your needs, doing the inner child work. I know that both you advocate for therapy. I advocate for therapy too. Like speaking to someone who's a clinician and has the degrees and can hold space for you is such an incredible gift. So just anyone listening out there, if that's what you're, if you're feeling like you need more support, Mm -hmm. go find a great therapist and talk this out and use this energetic window to be held uh, by professionals and then, or medical professionals. And, but I did so much of this work by my, by myself, just as I felt ready to open up a planner write every day look look inside kind of like this like covering up half my face as I was like oh I'm not quite sure I'm ready to see this like part of me yeah so the really beautiful thing is every single month the moon will move through every single temple within us and when we take time to reflect with ourselves and ask us ask ourselves questions during special times each month we can actually unlock even more information for ourselves we can have this we can cultivate this relationship with our inner discernment and our inner um it's ourself really it's it's the part of us sitting at the table that's witnessing everything and so yet you could just get a journal and begin sitting down every day and just talking about whatever you're feeling, sensing, afraid of, etc. I did create an astrological planner that is aligned to the temples of the year. And there are certain times that are going to be more potent for asking certain questions of our psyche. There are certain times where we're going to really feel that Mars energy or we're really going to feel that Venus energy. And I designed this in a way that we could tune in to those specific voices and we can ask very specific questions. And they, you know, we've all heard that the quality of our life depends on the quality of the questions we're asking ourselves. And this is full of questions. We could ask ourselves almost every single day that are tuned in to what's happening astrologically. That is such a good quote. The quality of our life is dependent on the quality of the questions we're asking. Yes, because if we ask, what's wrong with me? Then the computer in our mind will find everything that could be possibly wrong with us. But if we ask something like, can I act in accordance to my preferences now? That question is going to open up, okay, first of all, what are my preferences? Secondly, once I know what my preferences are, can I act toward my preferences? And if I'm having trouble with that, why is that? Where's the limitation there? They're complex questions to ask. And in order to answer them, we have to start having a conversation, a different type of conversation. I actually haven't ever heard that. I did a health coaching certification a long time ago. And that was all about like asking the meaningful questions in order to just allow your client to to talk and say what 
vocalize and say what they need to say. And I remember then like the quality of the questions, really important. But I've never turned that narrative on myself, even though I love giving journal prompts. I love all of it. Thank you. Like, I love that quote. And you've just given such an incredible teaching point there with like the questions that you actually asked. Because anyone that's living with an inner critic, anyone that's truly living with their black moon Lilith, where it's just over and over again, all the places that you're just not not good enough or like for your son Grant, where it's just like, no one's going to care. Like, who's who do you think you are? Like, that is the question. Who do you think you are? So, so unhelpful and disempowering. So now every time you catch that critic, you catch the the negative side of Black Moon Lilith. It's like, well, what's the, when I'm talking to Robert in his most empowering self, who's my CFO who actually really wants to see me be a fortune 500 company what's the question that he would actually ask me as opposed to like Robert who's pulling his hair out because I'm just refusing to do my cash flow this month like it's really like (laughs) thank you for for that you have Black Moon Lilith at zero degrees Pisces and Robert right now is feeling a such a strong call to be responsible because Saturn is currently retrograding to that point. And Black Moon Lilith is exactly opposite that point. You're in such an acute moment for yourself right now. And the fact that you're showing up and producing a podcast and and stepping out and sharing it with people is such a strong testament to the initiations your life has brought you through to this point. It is it this is like an exact example of what it looks like to step into and through the gates so that you begin to actually bring your gifts to the world and serve on a on a higher level. So let me ask you, I've had the benefit of, of doing your Black Lilith masterclass and it was a wealth of information. Over these nine months, will you teach it again? I actually am going to be offering a Black Moon Lilith six month container and I haven't chosen the dates yet. I haven't chosen the dates yet. I have a ma- I have a lot of people on my list and they're all prepped and ready for whenever I offer this thing. And I told myself I would let Black Moon Lilith enter Virgo and then I would decide from there when I want to open that container. Likely it'll start around the first of the year and it will go for six months and we will use that initiation of Black Moon Lilith through Virgo to really clear up all of the initiations that we've completed to that point. I just love everything. Like talking to you is such a manifestation of everything that I'm thinking, reading and seeing come to come to life in you. And I'm so lucky for that. But what's been really interesting is a little while ago, I was at a retreat space and my friend Michelle was giving a teaching on these five she called it the five chairs of change and you know you get on the first chair and everything's like great and by the time you're hitting the third chair everything's wobbling that chair is like half a leg's missing things aren't good and then you get to the last chair and you're feeling stable you learn the lesson but then the chairs start all over again you're into a new set of five chairs and I've been reading this book called the 12 week year And they do a similar teaching about moving through, they 
they pretty much call it like energy centers as well, like moving through the pitfalls. And their third chair is the valley of despair, where you're like the place where you're going to give up. And I'm like, oh, I've definitely moved through through that a few times to get to the podcast starting. But what we were talking about, and it's very similar, is like moving through the energy centers, the chakras, one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, or like 15, depends on which like school of teaching you're working through. And I was saying to you before we started recording that when I work with these energy centers, it's usually about opening them up but I don't necessarily teach people how to keep them open. And the thing that I loved about your teaching around Black Moon Lilith is that you call them gates that you go through and that there are gatekeepers. It's very clear on how you move through the process, which I was just like, yeah, I don't teach that particularly. Like that isn't something I teach. I teach about like being in the moment, healing, healing in those, the situations that come up and keeping open as opposed to, this is what it's going to look like when you transition through this gate. So when people go into your program um, or they've hit, hit, found this podcast and they're listening to this episode and they're like, oh my God, this is definitely me. My Robert is called Evian and I need some help processing so I can, I can, and I'm feeling really interested about this idea of gates and I want to know more. So they can jump into your six month container. I'm glad I asked you about that. I didn't know you were going to do that. So this is uh, great for me as well. Um, and they'll be taught to how, how to move through these gates. Remind me how many gates there are. Are there seven? There are six gates and then a boss level. I love that you called it the shadow boss as well. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> the shadow boss. And we the timing of this is that by the time we finish the six-month container, Black Moon Lilith will be at the shadow boss for the collective. And so I couldn't have timed it more perfectly. We're going to be in the year of the fire dragon next year as well. And so unlocking all of that dragon energy within ourselves by moving through the fear that Black Moon Lilith can sometimes present. So there are six actual gates that I've calculated, perceived, experienced, measured, found in popular culture, found in mythology, found in my research. And then the seventh is usually a test of all the gates. And it's sort of a gate, but it's also, uh, it's like a mirror. Um, it's really interesting and complex for each person. And it's very specific for each person. So my intention would be that I would bring people through the gates and they would identify their own and they would, they would allow themselves to shore it all up, preparing for that boss level. And in fact, the class itself or the container itself might actually be that boss. The experience of moving through consciously may actually present the boss level so that the other side of the gate is we no longer judge any part of ourselves. We have complete freedom to move about this this life in the sovereign way we were designed to. Oh, that's incredible. When we get to the end of this initiation, like this uh, Virgo, do we move into Black Moon Lilith in Libra? Yeah. And the interesting thing when Black Moon Lilith moves through Libra is it'll be reflecting back on the first gate again. So the first gate is about our identity 
and our ability to have resources. It's usually about money. It's usually about moving out of tradition, moving through the tradition that we were born into or the culture. So it'll be a strong relationship. It'll be the next level of like co-creative initiation. I mean, this is that's a really big way of ending 2024 as well, especially because that would be the moment that the nodes change as well, I think, will change around or will change while it's in that nine months. And I'm definitely not an expert on this, but the south node is the thing that we're leaving behind and the south node is in Libra and the nodes tend to govern our collective moves. And there, there just is a big energy of change, of how we move as a society and that people have been feeling that since 2020 and the energy sensitive have been feeling it since 2018. So this isn't necessarily a new thing, but the more I speak to incredible people like you and pay attention to what's happening in the sky, it just feels like 2024 is a year not to sleep on, like prepare yourself, use this Virgo window so that when people can no longer resist the changes that need to happen so that we live in a fairer, kinder, more compassionate society, like we're mentally, emotionally and physically ready to be the leaders and to just hold doors open. I'm excited. You make me not scared. I feel like I feel so like fearful before we have our conversations because I'm like, no, not more change, not more change. And then I'm like, oh no, this is this is good. Robert and I need to go co-create. And then 2024, like when we're hitting all that Libra magic, we're going to be so ready. It's going to be amazing. When I do these planners, I look at the transits and the aspects for the entire year ahead. So I've actually visited the entire year in front of us and It's so powerful. It's so, so liberating for our soul. This book actually contains everything that I have uncovered about next year. And I believe that whatever we put our focus on, whatever direction we look in, whatever questions we're asking, that is what actually tangibly is what's created. What are your well, you've said liberation and you've talked about the dragon, but what is like a nugget that's going to happen next year that either link it back into the planner, like, or, or it can just be a thought that you want to leave everybody with? Because I would love to be able to read the energy of the astrology for 2024, but alas, I, I spent my years avoiding Robert. So now I don't have those, <laughs> the things I should have been doing. Um, I can feel the energy changing. The people who are listening to this are probably 100% feeling that too. So when you're when you were doing your research and you are an incredible researcher, I fully believe that the things that you find are so interesting in the way that you interpret the stars and the movements and the degrees in which the transits are happening. What is the thing that's like really hitting you that you would want to share that you're like 2024 and not necessarily into predictions but 2024 is this is this is the thing that I want you to be carrying over right now the thing is there will be a dragon next year there is the dragon present in our lives and if we are afraid of the dragon 
If we put the dragon in a cave, if we run away from the dragon, the dragon will continue to to haunt us outside of ourselves. What we are meant to do now is find the dragon within ourselves. We are the dragon. The dragon's in us. And when we ride the dragon within ourselves, all of that power is liberated and we are no longer afraid of the thing out there. That's the, the main theme for next year. Face the dragon keeper. Face the face the dragon gatekeeper. It's just made me think. I feel like you you recorded your last masterclass in order for us to bring this up here. You said you were a child of the eighties, and that's why Never Ending Story was like in your <laughs> in your psyche. But it's such a for anyone who's our age, any child of the eighties, Never Ending Story because it looked so different. It was so magical. It's something that hit all of us. We all talked about it. I remember being at university, still watching like Never Ending Story, and it's so comforting and the soundtrack and everything. We're about to find our dragon. Our luck dragon. Yeah. Yeah. And those dragons, even the good ones, look absolutely terrifying if you're not understanding their energy. And they can hurt you as much as they can take care of you if they chose to. It's really, um, damn, 2024, bring it on. I'm ready for 2023 to end. (laughs) And by the time this comes out, we will be marching very very close to the end of the year um people can buy your planner on amazon and we will like link to your masterclass if it's ready otherwise we'll link to your website and um i couldn't be more excited people working with you are going to be really lucky Thank you so much, Daisy. I'm I'm excited too, and I can't wait to meet anyone who is in my path to meet from c- connecting through this podcast. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this with you and anyone who's listening. Oh, right back at you, and I'm thank you for thank you for bringing Robert to the table, quite literally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, and we'll see you in 2024. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope that this episode has left you feeling inspired and a little bit more seen. Your life, after all, is a mixtape. And once you learn to play the tracks you want to hear and adjust that volume, you will have the soundtrack of your dreams. To stay connected and continue exploring the mixtape together, you can follow me on Instagram at spiritualmixtape. But also, if you have any thoughts for me, any questions or any ideas that you want to share, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at hello at spiritualmixtape.com. So until then, my friends, let your inner anthem guide your path.